Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, guys? Welcome to Beyond the Brand Podcast. I'm your co-host, Alex Boudreaux, here with the typical host, Evan Pabuda. The boys had themselves one hell of a weekend down the shore, met with some friends, obviously stayed six feet apart, but it's been absolutely beautiful the past few days, and it's been a major turning point with the battle against the coronavirus pandemic, with Wednesday being no confirmed deaths from COVID-19 for the first time since March. So that is great news. With that all being said, we want to introduce an actress who has gained her reputation for her courageous character work. She has overcame numerous unimaginable challenges fighting to change the Hollywood stigma surrounding people with disabilities. People meet Aline Grubba, who actually made Evan cry during this episode. So stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time! Recording out of New York City, New York. Welcome to the Undisputed Greatest Podcast in the World, Beyond the Brand! Yeah, so just take us through your background a little bit. Um, so you were born in Alaska, so take us through... Um, growing up there and then how you kind of got into acting ah oh gosh um so wow that's a big one um yeah so I was born in Anchorage Alaska and I've um six brothers and one sister wow and uh our parents didn't stay in Alaska forever because it was cold and we took off but um when they moved from Alaska I don't know if you are familiar with this part of the story but I got really sick from a vaccine when I was like five and ended up paralyzed from the waist down and almost died in in a wheelchair and wasn't ever supposed to walk again. And so, um, so that was my childhood, I guess, uh, event that, that kind of sent my life in another direction that was unexpected. So, uh, we ended up uh, moving again to Florida and I grew up down there and went to high school down there. I ended, I did end up getting out of my wheelchair because I really wanted to be a cheerleader. <laughs> and so, I mean, that was my driving force when I was a little girl. I was like, oh, let me see. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, but they stopped off in the middle um, on their drive across the country. They stopped off in Arkansas, which just, proved to be the fatal blow that was (laughs) that nearly knocked me out and the family and then uh when they realized that was not the best move uh they took off and finished getting to Florida and that's where we ended up finishing school and high school and college what part of Florida Fort Lauderdale and then I went to University of Florida and my family is all across Florida they're in Wellington and Jupiter and my sister's husband was a fire chief in Miami and um, my brother is a fireman in Jupiter. They're all over Florida. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, what part of Florida are you in or were you in? I was in Tampa. Tampa. You, you said that, right. My brother Jerry's there. Yeah. I was um, so anyway, to answer the rest of your question, um, I started acting 
when I left uh, University of Florida and moved to Georgia. It was kind of by accident that it started in my life. And, uh, and then I decided that if I was going to do this, I better train. So I started training and I, my career took off in Georgia. And then I went to New York and I was there for a couple of years and then took off to LA. And then I found out I needed to battle the entire entertainment industry if I wanted to work because I have a limp. <laughs> so that was <laughs> the beginning of all my advocacy work for trying to change our industry, yeah. Yeah. which seems to have worked out. <laughs> Yeah. But it was a battle. I'm just going to backtrack a little bit. Um, walk us through, you know, the years of dedication and several leg injuries that you were like. Oh, wow. Well, when I first started my career, I, I went to work for a casting director and I was training at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta and I was doing musicals and all that stuff in the local community theaters. And then uh, my left leg... Um, because I was in a wheelchair in the years that you're growing the most, my muscles weren't strong enough to hold my bones when I started walking. So then I started cheerleading and jumping all around on them and uh, the bones started falling. So by, and so I was always in a lot of pain. And by the time I was uh, 21, which was when I was in Atlanta, I had, um, it was so bad that I was always having to get, they would have to put it in a cast and put me on crutches and I'd be in a cast for two weeks and then walk a little more and then put it back in a cast and it was getting really annoying. So, um, I ended up finding a doctor shortly after my mom died, um, that said he could fix it. So he rebuilt the entire left leg, ankle foot, but unbeknownst to him, uh, and we didn't figure out until many, many years later, they left the leg bone hitting the bones underneath the foot bones. So I was always walking like on broken bones and and it was, that's why I had to leave New York. I could, I really couldn't walk. I was, (laughs) I I would go out as far as I could go every day till I couldn't take the pain anymore. And then I was just done, you know, and uh, it would drop me. Um, And I had a walking boot. It took four years after that surgery before I could like walk across a room without a walking boot on. And, and what I didn't know is that my body was trying to protect itself from the bone sitting. So it was building a lot more bone around the whole joint. So pretty soon the joint was just like a internal cast. And, uh, then I had a brace up to my knee for a while, uh, a while being over 20 years, (laughs) an AFO walking brace. And in that time, a lot of other things happened. Like I ended up, um, um, getting cancer from all the radiation exposure, x-rays and everything, and ended up getting thyroid cancer in my early thirties and still having, I had leg surgeries all the way up until 2017. The last rebuild was in 2017 where they finally, finally just took off the end of my leg bone. So it can't hit below anymore. And, uh, but it took that many years that's insane. Yeah. And through it all, I mean, I just, I just kept going, honestly, in the battle in my business, you know, it just, I think the cancer drove me even more because as hard as that was to beat, cause I just, I had watched both my parents die from it as hard as it was to go through that and go through it alone and pay for it and, 
especially as an actor working to make your health insurance every year, it actually made me angry because I knew I was really good at what I did because I trained so hard for so many years and I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that this industry wouldn't let me work because I, I walked it, uh, with a limp and it's like, we're filming television. It just didn't make any sense to me. You don't have to see my walk if you don't want to see it. And, uh, it was easy enough to hide and I just didn't, it just made me angry. And then that angry side drove me into um, may, maybe taking really big risks and starting to just tell people off and, um, <laughs> and uh, writing my stories and going public with how the discrimination really was in our industry. And I just decided, well, if they're not going to let me work. I'm just going to tell the whole world about it. And, uh, which is not normally my style, but I was like, you're going to keep me from my health insurance, you know, and that's going to take my life. So I'm not going to let that happen. So, uh, so I ended up, uh, literally looking at making it in my career as a battle for my life. And that makes you very sassy, <laughs> makes you say, uh, get out of my way. And, um, but because I always knew if I could get past the gatekeepers, I would work. And that was a fact because I ended up taking edgy, risky roles that a lot of girls couldn't even pull off in my age or type range because they didn't have that kind of life experience. So um, I ended up playing a lot of really <laughs> scary, fun, crazy roles. And then the showrunners got to see that and then they would start... <clears throat> writing bigger roles and adding my it's how I ended up getting a lot of my bigger roles was because I'd get a tiny part on something and then they'd see what I was capable of or willing to do and they'd write more and more you know mm -hmm. so that's how it all went down and in the meantime I worked all those you know through all those challenges I had to pay my bills and I had to keep a roof over my head and I had to find a way to keep going so I worked in casting for a lot of years. I produced, I started writing screenplays. I sold my first screenplay that I wrote while I was laid up with cancer treatments in Houston. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I always that. found a way. What? Yeah. I was going to say what, what kept you motivated, you know, keeping that drive. Cause I've went through two knee surgeries and, you know, playing football and all that. I, I can't do any of that anymore. <laughs> I can barely walk. <laughs> Um, I understand that totally. Um, even when I couldn't walk in 2016, when they did a rebuild, they failed again and left the bone hitting worse than before. And I was supposed to be up and moving in a couple of weeks and then ended up being middle of the next year, 2017, before I finally got this doctor to listen to me. And I actually was like, dude, <laughs> I've been walking on my bones hitting longer than you've been practicing medicine. So you might want to hear me. And, uh, and he was a kind of arrogant doctor. And, and I think that stopped him. And I was like, look, I know when I'm walking on my bones hitting, I know that that would make most people not walk, but I'm going to do this. And uh, um, they ended up going back in and rebuilding again in 2017. But in it took till middle of 2018 before I could literally just get up and walk across a room again. And so during that time, I just kept going to auditions on crutches or, you know, one time I even booked a job I, between the two where, <laughs> where I like took a bunch of a leave 
And then I had my roommate drop me off literally at the front door of the audition. And then I walked in with a big purse and made sure I didn't walk a straight line so nobody could see that I couldn't actually walk. (laughs) (laughs) And I went in and did my, and that was for Fear of the Walking Dead. And I booked it. And then I find out I got to go to Mexico three times for this job on a train, get through a train station. I literally can't walk. And uh, so, so I'm like, how am I going to pull this off? So uh, on my first ride down, I end up on a train and I'm, 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 I left the crutches behind because I was just like, I need this job because I have to make my health insurance back. <laughs> and I get on the train and I'm hobbling to my seat and this, you know, guy, this very athletic looking guy is watching me and goes, that looks painful. And I was like, yeah, I just got off crutches, like just, like just this morning. (laughs) And it turns out he was one of the stunt guys on the show. And he was like, but he goes, are you going down to work on Fear of the Walking Dead? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, I I actually think your character starts a fight scene. (laughs) Like with all the guys, they're shipping in all these stunt guys to do the fight scene for that you start. And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) so so i told him what was going on and he was like hey you know what don't worry i'll i'll tell the guys we'll have your back you know so they're all athletes and they're all football players and all that stuff so this huge fight scene i'm supposed to push this big guy and then grab this big jug of water from him and run through the crowd and the director's (laughs) like so we want you to push him and then grab it and then run and i'm like so running could be a problem <laughs> and he's like what's going on and I was like I just got off crutches like yesterday um he's like seriously and I was like yeah I said I can take a few steps but it was really funny because the guys were like you know what as soon as she pushes him we will all rush in and if she starts to fall, he's like, if you start to fall, try to lean my way. I'll shove you back up and just get you out of the scene. And I was like, great. <laughs> so we somehow pulled it off. But I sit there sometimes and I look back on my shenanigans trying to survive in this industry. And I'm like, I cannot believe half the things I've done. I cannot believe the pain I've had to go through and the times I've had to show up on set where I literally couldn't even walk and have to fake like I could walk until I got there. Because once you get there, they can't like fire you. You know, they can't get rid of you. Then they got a problem on their hands. So so then they got to figure it out, you know. Wait, so take me through now, too. You were saying before you accidentally got into acting. So how, how do you accidentally get into it? Well, I was an artist. I accidentally get into acting and be on Accidentally. <laughs> well, if you, if you look back in my childhood, you'll, you'll see a few threads that led to it. But, like, when I was stuck in a wheelchair, I became an artist. Mm-hmm. That's when I started really doing a lot of artwork, and I, I would win awards for my artwork and stuff. But part of that artwork, I started creating puppets, handmade puppets, and I would do little puppet shows for the kids and the family and the kids in the neighborhood. I'd charge them a nickel to come see my shows. So I, I started doing my little show stuff back then. But then then becoming a cheerleader is really, that is a performance art, you know? And I did that for a lot of years and uh, even ended up being the captain of the cheerleading team for a while in my high school. And uh so that was, that worked out. Um, but then I started having more leg surgery. So that was, that wasn't fun. Um, but what happened was what, when I moved to Georgia, um, 
right after University of Florida, I was planning on doing art, art work and interior designing homes and this, that, and the other thing. And I, I, I actually got stopped when I was putting gas in my car by a guy who wanted to know if I would model um, wedding gowns, like portraits. And so I was like, sure, why not? And, uh, and so I did these photo shoots with this guy and then it, it turns out he was just like a little creepy and I was young and I got that vibe and I was like, oof. And then I thought, well, if I, uh, I'm going to be in this arena or profession in any way, I need to study, learn so that I don't get stuck in a weird situation, like with a weird person like that. So, um, so I started taking classes at Alliance Theater and a few places in Atlanta. And then I, but I was doing shows, musicals um, in the community theater there and playing. Without any like acting experience aside from those classes or you never really like formally act before that? Right? Up till up till then, no, except for the musicals and the sh shows in community theater. So I would, you know, I did Cinderella and things like that, plays and uh, musical stuff mostly. And then, but I started training at the Alliance Theater and that's when I really started getting my acting training. But it was also at that time that I went to work for a casting director because I said I wanted to understand the business. So I went to work for a casting director, Don Slayton in Atlanta for a while. And, um, and I learned a lot about the business and I kept training. And then about two years of that, like I had had my leg rebuilt at that time and I thought I better better find out if I can really do this career when I'm going to be, I knew that that's that leg rebuild was going to set me back for at least a year. And I remember talking to one of my teachers at Alliance theater at the time. And, um, she, I just went to her and I said, maybe this isn't the, the career for me because I'm obviously going to have some leg trouble. And she said something that I'll never forget. Cause I'd been in her class for a year and, uh, and it was a good, good training class in, Atlanta and she, she said to me Eileen of all my students many of them if they came to me with this I would tell them no you should go find something else to do but not you and I was like really she goes really you need to to stick with this and I was like hmm well how am I going to do this while well, I'm laid up and she's like come to classes with your with your cast and your crutches so I did I went to classes in a wheelchair because I had a wheelchair for a while because they wouldn't let me go back up on crutches because they'd done so much bone work. So I went to a class for the next eight months in a wheelchair with a cast up to my hip. And then I graduated to crutches and kept going. And I was working for a casting director at that time. And it just kept, it just kept grow, growing. And uh, through the years, there were many times that I thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this because people were more open-minded in New York, to be perfectly honest, back then. And this was a long time ago. Um, they were far more open-minded. They cared more about the skills. And once I got to LA, that's when I really started to see a problem with just the people's thinking. Um, I mean, I was able to get in the actor's studio fairly easy, which is no small, small feat. And yet couldn't get into most of the casting offices in this town for, for many years. And so it was quite a battle, but Every time I even thought about quitting or giving up, I thought about all those kids out there. And I thought about uh, even what I went through as a small child, you know, the way people treat you when you have something wrong with you. And 
it's like you with your football injuries, you know, suddenly you're having trouble walking. Does that change who you are as a human being? Does it change your dreams or does it make you less of a human? Or if you'd gone to war and you lost a leg, would that make you less of a human being, less less wanting to live your dreams, less wanting to get married, have kids, do all the things everybody else does? And I, I just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that the majority of the world thinks that a kid with a disability doesn't have a right to live, a right to their dreams, a right to fall in love, a right to have the career they want. And even when I think about it now, it, it really emotionally hits me because I remember how people treated me through the years. And a lot of times when I thought about quitting, I was like, there is no way I'm quitting because somebody has got to be willing to slam their head against this cement wall long enough to get a voice and yeah. to be trained well enough and have the skills to be able to speak up and be heard. And, yeah. um, so many times when I thought about it, I, I would think about some of these kids I mentor out here. And it's funny because every time the things got really scary, something would always come through that would feel like that line in the Godfather movie where it's like, it kept pulling me back in, you know, <laughs> every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. Um, so uh, I guess over time, I just realized, I guess I, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and the path that I was on was not exactly the one I chose, but apparently the one I was supposed to be on. And I ended up on incredible journeys because of all of this. And interestingly enough, some of the best roles I got were because I was such a fighter, you know, and because I had that grit and all the stuff that came from living this life and being fearless, which is a big thing that a lot of people don't possess, but it also, a lot of women do not possess. And uh, they're so afraid of even just being unattractive on camera. And I'm not at all. I'm like, you guys can do whatever you want to me. Just pay my health insurance. <laughs> I don't care if you throw me down the stairs and make fun of me, just pay my health insurance. <laughs> so a lot of times they would make me scary. I mean, I've had shows where they made my teeth green and turn me into all kind of crackhead where people don't even recognize me. You know, I've gone to film premieres where my characters were beasts and I'd come in with my blonde hair and my makeup on and then everybody'd be like, well, you were in the movie? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's this character. And they, they would always be like, what? You know, so I ended up, you know, doing a lot of really fun roles and very risky roles. And to me, I'm not afraid of any of that. I don't, I don't care. What is some of the favorite roles that you've, You've, you've had a chance to play or what type of role do you like? And then what are some of the ones that you found stuck out to you the most in your career? Um, <clears throat> I like anything that's a challenge. And, uh, I would say that the, there's still a lot of roles I want to play. There's still a lot of roles. I I'm sad. I missed playing because of whatever was going on in my business back then where they wouldn't let me play. Um, I play a lot of edgy, scary characters, obviously, and uh, wild ones. Like one of my favorites, and I guess because it went on and it would have kept going if the show kept going, was uh, Alice Ann in Game of Silence. Because my character would go from mid 30s to almost 60. And I got to go back and forth in time, which was a nice, fun challenge. And she was an alcoholic, trailer trash, violent. <laughs> raging woman who uh 
you know, in her youth. And then as she gets older, I'm, I'm the drunk mom who really does love her daughter, but isn't like the best example of a great mom. Um, <laughs> but it was really fun to play. And I was really bummed that show didn't get to keep going because the showrunner, David Hudgens was so amazing. And he just, he and his writing team just kept writing in fun stuff for my character. And, uh, it was, it was really getting fun. And the first one where I ever got to, the first one was kind of an accident too. The first one that actually got me, um, some TV recognition, I guess, was, um, I'd gotten a really small role as a hooker on Hung, <laughs> HBO. And it was a small role. It was supposed to be a guest star. And then you know, we went into work and there were three girls, three of us and, um, playing the hookers for Lenny James, the pimp. And, um, that was a really weird twist and turn of events because the wardrobe girls wanted all the hookers in really small, short skirts. And I was like, uh, no, I'm like, <laughs> can we have, can you put me in the leopard pants and then I can wear my brace and then I can run around as long as you want me to. And, uh, the, I think the wardrobe girl was so freaked out by the brace. So she put me in this spandex neon dress with my brace up to my knee and decides to march me out on the set in front of everybody to show them what I had hiding under my long skirt. <laughs> and when I got on the set, um, the girl, Jane Adams, who was this, one of the leads of the show, she just goes, is that real? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she goes, that is so cool. And she brought so much, like she said it so loud that everybody's heads turned. And I was like sitting there going, okay, I'm about to either lose my job or I don't know what's about to happen. So, uh, and then the showrunner, there was a husband and wife team, but the, the husband, Dimitri Limkin came up and he said, uh, do you mind if we show that? And I was like, really? <laughs> you want to show that? He goes, yeah, it's cool. And I was like, okay. I said, it will either make me or break me. So, uh, oh. they showed my brace on that show. It was the first time it showed on TV and the first time that it was sort of welcomed on the set, which was way, you know, what, 2008. So that kind of, and then that role went from being this small thing that they just kept writing me in. And I ended up doing a lot of episodes in the next season and then that one was also supposed to go up to a bigger role in the next season and the show got canceled so I've had that happen a few times unfortunately but those were really fun wild roles to play and one of my favorite was also one that was supposed to go on but ended up getting cut short not because of my doing but but because of something that happened with the it wrote out the storyline and nothing to do with me but that character was Precious Ryan on Sons of Anarchy. And that as little, as sh short a period of time as I was on that show, it made a really big impact on people because I was the only uh, old lady of the gang that um, one, punched them in the face and got away with it. <laughs> Two, got her kids away from the gang and lived. So, um, and she was supposed to come back and they did even ask if they could write in everything, but then sh shift of plans that had something to do with my other husband on the show that it didn't happen. But that one made an impact everywhere. 
it so, made a bigger yeah. impact than anything I've done, I think. Is there any roles or things that you've done work this song's a big name? You were kind of like uh struck when you went out there to Oh, the only time that that ever really happened. I mean, and I've ended up on sets with Meryl Streep and and Cher and all. I've I've worked with all kinds of names, but the one the one that got me was Russell Crowe. Mm-hmm. And are you recording this, or is this just we're just chatting? <laughs> No, it's recording. No, it's recording, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Russell Crowe. Um, I got hired on State of Play, and originally it was supposed to be opposite Brad Pitt, which I was super excited about because I had met him when I was young and uh, thought he was really cool, and I was excited to to say hi to him again. And uh, then the film shifted gears, and Russell Crowe took over the role, and uh, he was at the height of his career then, absolute height of his career, and I've got scenes with Russell Crowe, and I was like, you know, so I was super excited and I didn't know how he was going to be. You never know how um, big name people are going to be when you get on set and you're a small player. So um, I get on there and he came up and introduced himself. He was really kind. He he pulls up a chair next to himself and he's like, come sit with me. <laughs> and he sits there and he talk and he just talks to me about Alaska, about my past. So we swap stories and um we we're just having fun. He was so kind. He was just so open and easygoing. And and then when we got to shooting the scene, I understood what he was doing <laughs> because as soon as they held said action, his character's flirting with my character. He had me blushing in like five seconds, like <laughs> seconds. <laughs> so much so that I forgot my own character's name. <laughs> did you just say (laughs) well because this kid is is like i I walked up and he's flirting with me in the restaurant and then he's like what's your name and i was like eileen (laughs) 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 and my my character's name is peggy and i was so embarrassed but he started laughing but he was so good you know he was just so good at his at his craft in this game and then he actually had them have me into another uh, another day for another scene like he had them add me and so, but my, I ended up getting cut from the whole movie and I understood why when I went to the casting crew screening, because Robin Wright was in it and I, our hair was the same then and with a similar type and she's his love interest in it. So there was no way they were going to have another girl who had a similar look and younger, uh, that he's flirting with, you know, it just didn't make sense for the storyline. So I, but I was super bummed <laughs> that I'm sitting there in the casting crew screening with my new manager going here comes my scene and then I was like <laughs> which happens a lot in our business if you're not the name you can pretty much bet your role is going to be you know cut down a lot from what you can shot you know yeah. what, or gone. Role, what role is kind of like the turning point for you that like more roles just kept coming in it was the sons of anarchy one that one it should have gone on but it didn't matter because that one, for whatever reason, it was one of those things where ever after that, I got invited to all these things where you show up and, you know, they want people from the show to come and support our soldiers or, you know, all some of those um, charities that they do, like the boot campaign and all that stuff. So it was like um, 
I ended up having a bit of a fan following after that one in the biker community and the veteran community and, you know, and everyone who watched that show. And, um, but that all actually, because of the, I guess, because of the action in it or the grit of the role, I'm not really sure, but it, it started opening a lot of doors and things started opening up and yeah. 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 Are you working, what are you working on currently? Is there anything, I mean, I know all this stuff kind of, yeah, we were just about to go into the most interesting pilot season because really after all these years, this is the first year that the networks were starting to reach out to me um, about shows. So, um, and I won't say too much, but one of them said they're looking for a show for me. And uh, so we were hitting a pretty promising pilot season here. And I was like, wow, I'm finally going to get to be included in pilot season. Like, what a battle of years to get to that point. And then coronavirus shuts down the whole, whole industry right when I'm like up for, I was winning awards at all these festivals for the films that I was creating out there in the world. And I just won a couple big awards at the Idlewild and film festival and a screenwriting award and everything just canceled. You know, we had a feature that we'd shot a couple of years ago that was uh, premiering at South by Southwest in Austin. And we were all ready to fly in. We had like 70 people from the movie going in and we were going to perform at the event and it all got canceled. So, so that all got canceled. Um, I'm still in this uh, program called the, um, um, I got invited to be in this program for CBS called the um, Leadership Pipeline. And they picked different people in different categories to go through this um, training thing. And I, I joined as a director. So we've been learning from all their executives, which has been really cool. So we're still doing that, even though we're doing it by Zoom. And, uh, and then we started doing this comedy stuff because that's another arena. People are so used to me doing these hard, edgy roles that they aren't aware that I have a lot of humor <laughs> <laughs> and I've done a lot of improv and I can laugh at pretty much the darkest of anything just because that's what life does to you, right? So uh, if you've lived enough life, you can kind of make humor out of almost anything at the worst time too. Um, so we started these little comedy things, which you just saw the one, the Brady Bunch parody song where I'm playing the college kid with the <laughs> spring, spring break, <laughs> spreading coronavirus. Um I always have a lot of projects in the works, many, many projects in the works that it's hard to even remember them all half the time. But I have uh, two films in post um, that we shot that are all projects. I always do uh, disability inclusion projects, you know, like um, at least one every year. But last year we did like three of them that are in post now. And one of them went into the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. So just to show people what, what we can do, you know? Yeah. So that's a good transition now um, into off the screen. Um, some of the work and stuff you, you've done. I mean, we've read about it, but let's hear it from, from your perspective. You know, obviously you told us about your background and you're a big advocate for uh, children with disabilities, uh, families with genetic cancers and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us about some of the work you do there. And then, you know, as you said, you're trying to, you were like fighting for yourself in the industry and, and so outspoken. So take us through all that stuff, you know, there's stuff bigger than just acting that you've done. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it was kind of shocking uh, to me um, to come to LA and 
promptly see all these doors slamming shut as soon as people realized I had a limb. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's like, you know, these scars, uh, these are my battle scars. These, these are proof I went to war and I won. <laughs> and, you know, once you've fought for your life a few times, you know, you don't really back down from a battle so easily. At least I don't. And uh, it just, to see the way people shut their doors and how they behaved when I got to LA and seeing how I had to hide my movement and everything. It's like, that's like asking you to breathe at a different rhythm Yeah. the entire time you're in a meeting. Are you going to remember that the whole time? And if your focus is on that, uh, how's your work? And if my focus is always about hide who I am, how am I going to really light up the scene or even be able to truly focus on it? Right. So, um, fortunately, one of the things that did happen to help me launch into where I went was that I auditioned for the actor's studio and the actor's studio is like some of the best actors in the world. You know, it's a very um, elite core of highly trained actors and the whole, it's like a club <laughs> and you're invited in if they like your work and then you're training with some of the best you know, people in the world. I had mentors like Martin Landau for many years and Barbara Bain, who was the first woman, woman to win three Emmys in a row and Alan Miller, who coached Meryl Streep and Barbara Streisand from being his babysitter right into her big career. And I mean, the countless people these people have trained that are huge stars out there. And uh, fortunately for me, I got into the studio kind of young and kind of easy because I played a character <laughs> who got hit by a taxi in New York City and ended up paralyzed. And then she's drunk and angry. So I'm like, that's easy. Um, <laughs> paralyzed me again. I'm going to be pretty angry and I might just get drunk. <laughs> so I played that and nobody knew me. They didn't know where I was coming from, but I guess it affected them enormously when I threw myself across the floor and dragged myself across the stage to get the alcohol from the maid that wouldn't give it to me. And, um, and, uh, cause years later, several of them talked about how they never forgot that audition. And, I got in there and trained and trained and trained. There were times when I thought um, I spent my whole life on the stage of the actor's studio. I'd have like five plays going at a time and constantly working. And I was very open to all their, all their feedback and everything they pushed me to do because um, they're really good. They're really smart. I mean, Alan and Barbara, incidentally the same names as my parents, but Barbara Bain mm -hmm. and Alan Miller have been mentors to me for a lot of years. Unfortunately, we lost Martin Landau. He passed away and um, another of my closest, which was Carmen Argenziano, who also passed away last year. But I still have Barbara and Alan who still watch every show I do. I had six shows last season hit and they watch every show and then they call me and they give me notes and they give me thoughts. And this year when, uh, I had an interesting role hit on New Amsterdam. Really interesting because the character is paralyzed from the waist down, 
caused by the medical industry and she's a cancer survivor and she's mad. And I'm like, who knew me that wrote this role? <laughs> so turns out it was Sean Cassidy and, uh, and I got hired for that one. I'm like, they better hire me for this one, man. But I got hired pretty rapidly for that one and shipped out to New York and I had so much fun playing it. And then after it aired, Barbara Bain called me and said, uh, this, uh, this episode needs to be nominated for an Emmy. I was like, really? And she goes, really? <laughs> we don't see this kind of work on TV. And then, uh, and she's had some Emmys. So I was like, oh, okay. And then I had a director call me and say the same thing. And then I had a multi-Emmy winning producer call and say the same thing. And so I was like, cool, now what do we do? You know, so, um, so that episode has gotten nominated or not nominated, submitted for Emmy consideration this year. But now again, coronavirus because <laughs> this is the time when everybody would be getting their work out to everybody and they they would have all these screenings for the emmy consideration but you know who cares whatever if it may if it makes that impact and it you know to me something like that would just give me a bigger voice and with a bigger voice i'm gonna make sure i speak up and out because here's the thing our industry really educates a lot of the world's children, we tell them how to think and we tell them what to accept and who to accept and who's cool and who's not. I mean, unfortunately, that's where they're figuring out life and their interactions with people. And so I battle really hard to make sure that people get to be seen on screen exactly as they are, because we're all at one point in life going to end up with broken parts unless we're like, lucky enough to crash in a plane or something um you're you're gonna end up broken somewhere down the line whether it's from football or sports or life you know car accident whatever everybody's gonna end up with something and I think um it's really important for humanity to embrace all all of it we don't stay 20 and perfect for life that's a an illusion and it's a disservice to everyone and so a lot of my advocacy in battle has been about including and accepting these kids who quite frankly, I believe are our, are our serious game changers because you can't take a kid and put them through the kind of hell I went through or the kind of hell a lot of these kids go through from childhood. They're fighting for their lives and then they got to fight society and they got to keep adapting and adjusting. And, you know, just when they think they're, uh, getting something sorted out, they lose another limb or another organ, or they have to go through more chemo or something. And these kids are as tough as they get. They are stronger than any warriors you'll ever meet. And they're really good at rising up and putting a smile back on their face and facing the world again, no matter what they're up against. And I'm like, couldn't the whole world benefit from knowing these kids? Yeah. Couldn't the whole world benefit from seeing people who get up and fight no matter what they're going through? And I just feel like our society, the whole world, has left out their game changers. I and mean, You make a very valid point to this. Kids growing up, we actually we were talking to Bill Duke the other day um, about this because he, he does some work with some people in L.A. And I, for, for kids who, who want to be actors and things like that. And society alone having to deal with that right like society alone for someone without a disability is hard enough for growing up as athletes, we talk about this with a couple other people as well as 
if, if you were you're an athlete, you, you didn't act like it was kind of like, oh, you're you're a loser, you're weird if you want to bet. Like, right. it's, it's hard enough to deal with. And then now, on top of you, like you said, there's these talented kids who they might have a disability or, or a condition, and they're even more so like restricted and, and or told what they can and can't do. And I, I yeah. commend you for that a lot. I think it's great. Yeah, I was constantly told what I couldn't do. I mean, I remember even the day that I said, I'm going to be a cheerleader. And I remember being told, well, don't get your hopes up. Yeah. And guess what? I was a cheerleader for years and I was the captain of the damn team. So, <laughs> you know, like you can't tell a kid just no, you know, it, it, you're 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 given inspirations and dreams for a reason. And even I think all the challenges that happened in our life are sort of guiding us in one direction. And, you know, I know there are a lot of people in the community that don't, don't like the words I use, but the thing to me is like disability can be a painful word to a lot of people because it means, because they think it means you're not able to do something. And, uh, to me, it's like, I've never liked the word, um, from an earlier generation of the kids that like that word. Um, but to me, it's like a disability doesn't make you less able to do something. It makes you more focused on the things you can do. And uh, if that's not a gift in life, I don't know what it is. Because so many kids go out there in the world going, oh, I don't know what to do. I can do anything, you know. And they, when, you've, when you're a kid with a disability, you become laser focused on the things you can do. And your senses pick up in every way. You know, you, you lose one limb or one piece of you one sense or something all the other ones pick up and that's why we have you know some of the most amazing talents out there have disabilities I mean Wilma Rudolph had the same leg braces when she was a kid grew up in poverty huge family she had polio and uh, she couldn't run and everybody made fun of her well she ended up being the first woman to win three Olympic gold medals for running and Beethoven was deaf when he wrote his best stuff. Andrea Bocelli is blind since he's a kid, and he's one of the greatest voices out there. We all know about Stevie Wonder, but the, the one thing is, um, I even actually got to sit in the office of Stephen Hawking and have a conversation with him about what I'm trying to do in the entertainment industry a few years ago before he died. And that was a pretty amazing experience. And, and I'll never forget looking into that man's eyes and I could, I could feel his pain. I, I could feel it. And imagine if whoever was around him in charge of his care in his college years when his disability really started changing his life, what if they would have stuck him in a padded room and told him to shut up? Yeah. yeah. You know, and we do that to way too many people and it breaks my heart and I, it, it drives me. I even wrote a pilot. <laughs> I'm not going to say the title cause it's so offensive to so many people, but, um, <laughs> but it's a comedy and, uh, and it's about a girl who dies because she can't make her health insurance. So she comes back to haunt every single person who ever got in her way. And I got to the point at some point where I was like, y'all better get out of my way. Cause if I die, I'm coming back to haunt you. Cause this industry will change before I go down. <laughs> so.
So <laughs> it's just become such a driving thing for me. And, you know, this past year, I really got to see the changes happen. And I, and I had a hell of a bad year last year. I lost two of the closest people in my whole life died last year. And, uh, and, uh, then came into the episodic season and just that New Amsterdam job and Watchmen and the politician and SWAT. And I just kept getting hired and hired and hired and hired. And I, I know it was because I was putting all this pain into my work. And, uh, and by the end of the year, I was like, wow, um, I was getting called into the networks to have conversations about shows like me being leads on shows, you know, and several networks. So I was like, I guess we changed our industry. <laughs> I guess it's, it's happening. And I guess we're finally going to get to a point where a woman can have a flaw. Cause that's been a thing for quite a while. I I've had a lot of people through the years tell me that if I was a guy, it wouldn't matter. And I was like, well, why? Cause girls have to be flawless or something. And I'm like, I, I'm going to disagree with that. And the other thing is I, I strongly have to object to the idea that anybody who has a disability would be um, harder to work with or um, more difficult to deal with or, or too fragile. I've had jobs that I lost years ago without anyone asking me what I was capable of, them just assuming something would be too hard for me. And I'm like, clearly you don't know me and you didn't do your research. And I remember one time even saying to a prior manager when she was saying, well, this casting office, they just won't, they, 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 because of your disability. And I said, can you just tell them to meet me at the bottom of Runyon Canyon and let's see who gets up there faster. And uh, because it really drove me nuts that people just assumed you're less. And I'm like, I'm stronger than any female I have ever known. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I've endured more stuff with a smile on my face and paid for it all myself and went through it all myself and never asked anybody for a thing. And uh, and I kept working through all of it, no matter if I was in a wheelchair, out of a wheelchair, on crutches, in pain. It didn't matter. I just kept going every single day I did the best I could do with that day, no matter how much. And I'm telling you the kind of pain that when I even think about it now, it makes, you know, it, it, a lot of pain, physical pain when your bones are hurting and you're trying to move on them. And so, so I strongly uh, disagree with uh, the perception that somebody with a disability might not be able to, handle like I know what I can handle and I'll tell them right up front this is what I can do or not do so I just think uh we need to get to a space where the whole world starts to look at every individual as a different situation and and never underestimate what somebody's capable of mm -hmm. ever because a lot of times the strongest people you're ever going to see are not going to look like the picture you imagined and I even think back of my high school years and like the strongest, baddest ass, best looking, coolest football player in the whole school, the muscles, the perfection in every physical way. He died at 40 from a debilitating illness. You know, I'm sure if you went back in high school and you looked at all the people you thought were going to like be the head of the world, uh, too many, not too many years later. And then you looked at actually who survived and who didn't. I'm sure a lot of people didn't expect me to still be standing here, you know? So, uh, 
I think we have to change our perception of what strength is and uh, really take a look beneath the surface of people because right. we're missing out on so much by just judging people by the package they come in. I agree. Um, I think it's, I think it's great what you're doing for the industry. I mean, as people as a whole, I mean, that's incredible. I want to know the name of the pilot. We can always cut it out too. I'm curious now to hear. Boy, it's really hard to tell it unless you get the story that leads up to it because when it happened, I left out a little tidbit for you guys. Um, I did. I don't really actually tell people a lot of this, but I'll, I'll say it. Um, about five years after my cancer battle, I had a conversation with my doctor, Dr. Weber at MD Anderson, who saved my life. And uh, he said, do you have any other concerns? And I said, yeah, I am. I'm actually more concerned with the cancer that killed my mother than I am with the one I had. And he said, what was that? And I told him and he goes, oh, let me send you to the specialists in that arena. And I was like, okay, great. So I go to uh, the top specialists in that, in that area and find out that our family has this genetic cancer syndrome. Wow. And of course, on top of all my other cards, I had to have that too. So I got that too. And I was like, great. And you know, when you I've been through all the battles I've been through. The worst thing you can ever say to me is surgery or more cancer or something, you know, like I'm like, no. <laughs> and so, uh, so I was, I was horrified and, uh, I thought, oh my God, you know, now I'm going to, my mom died so young and my dad died young in cancer. And I was like, great. Now I got to deal with that now for the rest of my life. And I was kind of angry. So, you know, one night, a couple of my girlfriends came over. We opened a couple of bottles of wine and we're sitting in my closet, cleaning out my closet. And I'm drinking, so I'm getting louder and madder. Because <laughs> I knew I had to fight to make my health insurance that year. Yeah. And the pre-existing condition clause, and I wasn't getting in many doors for auditions. And that was the day that I said, I swear to God, if I die, I'm coming back to haunt every single person who ever got in my way. And the girls just bust out laughing. And then my friend, Cynthia, who's so sweet and innocent, she never says a cuss word in her life. She's just sitting there looking at me horrified. And I just said, that would make a great TV series, wouldn't it? And she starts laughing and she's like, yeah, you could call it fucked by an angel. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, that's good. <laughs> and I don't know how to fix that title because it's perfect. And it's a comedy and I wrote it and it opens on that scene in the closet. And then you cut to the funeral and she's dead and the haunting begins and she's kept a list. And, and by the end of the pilot, the girls are running back in her closet to find the list and it's now levitating and glowing and the names are lit up and the ones she's already started going after are, are starting to be crossed off in gold. And, uh, and, um, by the end of the pilot, they're like, can we uh, add people to the list? <laughs> so it becomes this, you know, she, my character figures out how to come back and interact with her friends. And she goes after all these people, not to kill them, not to maim them, but to give them a little dose of their own medicine. And it turns out that her guardian angel, who happens to be St. Michael the Archangel, tells her she has permission to have at it for a while. So they let her postpone becoming an angel so she can go back and haunt people because she gave them her word. <laughs> so it's a fun pilot. <laughs> yeah. And that's the title for now. 
Are you trying to pursue getting that on a network somewhere, or uh, are you trying to? Uh, it, in the fall, it went to Netflix, and I'm maybe it scared him. Like the show, that sounds like something I'd see on Netflix. It does, and 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 unfortunately, they passed. Um, but I intend to get it back out to everywhere as soon as the next round of things opens up. And you know, I'm a person who has 20 projects in my computer. Every kind. I've got comedies. I've got dramas. I've got features. I've got all kinds of projects. And uh, when when one hits or when one show goes big enough, somebody's going to say, "What have you got?" And then all of them will get made. You know. So it's how our our thing rolls. But that one's got to happen because it's so much fun. It, it's so silly. It's ridiculously silly, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, hey, if you have if you need some young twenty four year old <laughs> average looking men in your in your shows, we're here. So just, are you guys actors? We are not. I would love to get out of <laughs> Well, like I, I was telling you before, growing up, like it's, it was so frowned upon. Like we talked about it all the time. Now look, like. now like we've been talking about this podcast idea. We met in college, so we've been talking about this podcast here for like over probably like three to five years, and we finally launched it now. Ah. Uh-huh. And now we're like sitting here thinking, and like we keep talking to all these actors and things. And I'm like, dude, like I feel like we would kill this. Yeah. And like you would. I want. It's I, never I, too late. No, no, it's not. And we were talking today, right before we were talking to you, we were like, we were like, dude, should we like, if we start making some money off this, should we just put that towards acting classes? Like, just, just go for it. Like, just absolutely. And you're in New York, so it's got to be a lot of good acting training out there. You know, we used to go when I was young and in New York, we used to go to HB Studios, and it was pretty affordable. Yeah. And good training, and uh, and then of course, if you work hard enough, you can go audition for the Actors Studio, and you get in there, you don't pay anything. Train with the best people. How much was it, do you remember? To the actor studio, you don't pay anything. Oh no, for the the HB studio you mentioned. Oh, HB studios. Well, that was a long time ago, but it was pretty cheap. It wasn't very expensive. It's on Bank Street down there on the Lower East Side, if I remember right. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna look into it. Like you said, like I don't, I don't know. Like I, I don't know if it's just this year. Like I had like an epiphany. Like I'm, we're so young. I want to do so many different things. I want to try so many different things. And I feel like, and you, and you have to do it while you're young, while you have that kind of energy. And it's just like, and it's just like, there's no limit to like what you can do. And I feel like acting would be something so cool to just try, like, and just see if I've always felt like I could. I, growing up, my mom always used to say, it's obviously my, my mom, but like, I used to love dressing up. I used to like wear costumes and like act out things. And like, she always used to say, you were born for the stage. She always used to say that. Right? So, I, I, some way, shape, or form, I would like to get involved with it. I mean, you guys are still young, so why not? If it's something that you want to do, you can even start doing it on your own. These days, we have all this technology. I mean, go look at the little things we just did in our living rooms on Zoom. I mean, you're act- we're acting, you know. We're doing TikTok yeah, left and right. We've been trying to get on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I haven't learned that one yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm not as technologically advanced as all you guys are so um but why not you know I remember years ago like right after my dad died one of my brothers uh was uh he made a comment in front of all the relatives when somebody was asking me about my acting career and he was like yeah it was bad enough when she wanted to be an artist now she wants to be an actor and uh been I've never forgotten that you know it's like wow but you know while my parents were alive my dad was my mom didn't get to see my acting career because she died so young but my dad got to see a little bit of it and he was pretty lit up by it and you know what I've learned through the years is that you I like to say you work with the living and what I mean by that is you know you 
keep yourself surrounded by the people who believe in you and say, go for it. And the naysayers, you just be like, you know what? You go over to your small little world over there and tell everyone else no, but I'm going to surround myself with people who believe in me and vice versa. We have to believe in the people around us, you know, and uh, you can still go for your dreams. It's never too late. And you guys are young and probably full of energy and creativity. Now's the time. And that also goes to anything too, right? Not even just like acting and things like that, but like even this podcast, dude, there's obviously many people who don't support it. Like I'm like starting now, like I used to care so much like what people thought. And like yeah. at some point, like I would say in the last couple of years, I just said like, fuck it. Like I really don't. I don't give exactly. Fuck because it doesn't matter. And those people aren't going to be there for you when the, when the tough stuff hits, they're not. And you know, somebody recently posted something. I keep this Facebook page called everyday warriors. And it's always positive things to help people through challenges and whatever. It's very empowering things. And somebody just posted, um, the people who love me the most and care about me the most are not the ones pointing out all my flaws and all the things I've done wrong. They've not been on the sidelines, uh, commenting on what I'm doing. They've been in the trenches with me. They've been on the battlefield with me. And when I look at my life and all the battles I've been through, I really don't care what anybody thinks about anything because some of the people who've criticized whatever I do, I've literally looked at them and said, guess what? You wouldn't be alive if you lived my life. You'd be dead. So don't tell me how to live my life. Right. So, and that's a fact. Like some of my biggest critics have never had a hard moment in their life, even though they think they have. And I'm like, you don't know loss. You don't know pain. You don't know illness. You don't know any of that or even poverty and losing everything you own while you're going through things like cancer, you know, you, you, uh, until you've been in someone's trenches with them, you don't have a right to comment on what they're doing with their life. And so I'm with you on that. I many years ago, finally figured out that it doesn't really matter what anybody says because I'm the one at the end of the day, that's got to live my life. So I'd say go for it with everything you got. And we shouldn't care what anybody else thinks because the people who really love us are going to support us. What I think of our generation was like all the social media stuff. Like I used to care so much about likes on an Instagram post, uh, things like that. Like now, like now I like don't give a fuck like at all. Like I'll, I'll put anything on it. I mean, like, I, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Cause at the end of the day, when you, when you die, well, everyone, everyone's going to die one day. When you die, none of that stuff's going to matter. And the only people right. No matter the ones who are there and the people or the people that you're thinking about in that moment. So it doesn't, it really doesn't matter anything else. That's how I live my life. Exactly. It's, it's very true. And a lot of those concerns about what everybody else thinks will keep you from making moves you need to make. Absolutely. And I got to a point where I was like, you know, friends around me would be like, wow, that was a ballsy move. Cause I would make some ballsy moves in this town. Cause I got so sick of people being cruel Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I would handle it sometimes in a room in front of all the producers. Yeah. Cause I was like, well, what are you going to do? Keep me out of work any more than you already have. Yeah. I got nothing to lose here. Nothing. Like, you talked about all these closed doors and had this like terrific journey and getting that role with your, your boot, you know, you know, on film. Was that like a big moment to you? And did that open up? It was, it was huge. I think I went back to my trailer and I was just stunned and, uh, and I remember calling the man that was closest to me at that 
time in my life the one passed away last year and I was in tears I was like wow the, um <laughs> they're they're gonna use my brace on screen I don't know what to think you know it, uh, but yeah it it was a profound moment for me because because then a couple episodes later in the next season I came walking on the set in my short skirt and my high stacked uh wedge shoes with my brace on and there was you know there's always a new director with the episodes and I walked by and the director watched me walk by and he turned to the executive producer the the woman and said um you want to see that on camera and she smiled and said yes I do (laughs) she walked away (laughs) and I was like and I overheard the whole thing so I was like the times they are a changing. And there was another time when a casting director was pretty rude to me in a room and uh, really rude actually. And uh, fortunately my character was a feisty one. So I just put it in the work and then he tried to be kind of a jerk directly. And the woman director in the room just shut him down. She's like, what are you doing? And uh, she just shut him down. And, uh, I walked out of there smiling because I, I didn't even get home that night before I got a call from my agent saying I booked that job. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, you just got to keep showing up and, you know, believe in yourself. And I have gotten to the point where I don't care what they think. If they want to look at me funny when I walk in a room, I, I don't care. A lot of times you'll see a smile on my face when people are being at their worst. And you'll see that smile go across my face because in my brain, I'm going, it's okay, I'm going to fire you one day. <laughs> It's going to happen. <laughs> so, and then I'm super grateful for all the people who've been kind and open. I'm super grateful, but I'll be damned if I'm going to let somebody's closed mind stop me from living my life because we all only have this much time. And me losing my parents so young made me really aware of that. But also I've faced my life a handful of times since childhood. So my perspective is a little different than most people, I think. And I just want to go out swinging you know I have a right to go after my dreams and I don't want another kid ever to feel like they're not even allowed to show up or be on the team or be included just because something happened to them or something's wrong with them or an illness hit or an accident happened or you know whatever all the many variables that can change a kid's life and so I always think about all those little kids and I'm like I'm not, I'm not gonna ever back down yeah. until I literally can't function anymore. What was that? <laughs> made the comment that I love, like, oh, how brace. what was her name again? Wait, say your... Who was the actress who made the comment about the brace when you came out on set? That was Jane Adams on Hung. Have you spoke to her since then and told her how how much that moment meant to you? I did tell her after, because we went into another season. And so I got to work with her a lot. And I did tell her how much that meant to me. And you want to know, here's a really interesting story that you might appreciate. Um, I don't know if your blog is going too long now, but. No, you're fine. You're, you're both football players. He was a football player. Yeah. I, I played in high school, but not in college. Okay. So remember peewee football, like little league football? Yeah. So I have six brothers and they all played football, Mm -hmm. which is why I got the desire to be a cheerleader. So um, they were always on football teams. And when we were young and moving from from across the country and ended up in Florida, 
I was just going into the fifth grade and I could, I was out of my wheelchair by then, but I walked pretty badly where kids were pretty cruel, you know, always. So it was always my dread to switch schools. So we, so we move there and we get it settled in one school and the kids are cruel for like six months. And then we get, my parents get a house and we have to move to another area and I got to go now to the Catholic school. And so I got to start school all over again. And I'm like, Oh no, you know, like I got to go through all this hell again. And so I, I went into the fifth grade at this Catholic school in Fort Lauderdale. And, um, and when I got there, you had to wear these little uniforms, little skirts. And I was like, Oh no, they're going to see my legs and they're going to make fun of me and blah. And, uh, that was a time where you at lunch in your you would sit in your classrooms and have lunch so people would just pull their chairs together and have lunch together so like if you were the kid that nobody wanted in your circle you're sitting there alone eating your lunch right and that particular time the girls were especially cruel they were cruel and I remember sitting there having my lunch by myself watching the circle of girls be cruel and make fun of me right in the earshot. And I'm just sitting there going. And then all the football players were over on the other side in their little circle. And one of them was watching this happen. Mm-hmm. And he happened to be on the Pee Wee football team or little league football with one of my brothers. So our families knew each other and he was the most popular kid in the fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And the badass of the football team, if there is such a thing in the fifth grade. So um, the next day when everyone broke their chairs for lunch, he pulled his chair up and sat with me. And the girls were all like, because they all had a crush on this guy. Wait till I tell you who it is. Um, So they all had a crush on him. And so they were all like, why is he sitting with her? And then all the football players came and sat with me. They all knew my brothers and they all had respect for them and they sat, came and sat with me. Well, that one move changed the course of my days at that school. And the girls stopped being jerks because they were like, oh, the boys all hang out with her. So it shifted things for me. Mm-hmm. I've never fought, forgotten that guy. Um, and cut to in our early 20s, he wrote a screenplay in our early 20s. And he sold it to Warner Brothers and it became a big hit and it was called Wrestling Ernest Hemingway. And uh, then he kept going and now he's one of the biggest screenwriters in Hollywood, Steve Conrad. And when he did the movie Pursuit of Happiness, I got to see it at the Academy um, Theater up here with the industry packed the house. It was a packed house. And at the end of the movie, literally everybody stood up and cheered. And I sat in my chair with tears on my face because I've never forgotten that that kid pulled his chair up and sat with me in the fifth grade. And uh, so after that screening, I called and told him and he hadn't even he forgot. He didn't even remember the story. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll never forget for as long as I'm alive. How easy it is to change a life when you're the cool kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you've got to make me cry. I'm like, yeah. like frog in my throat now. Like, I got water in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. yeah. So those stories have to be told. I, he ended up writing a, a movie that had a t- really similar storyline. I'm still, I'm <laughs> You're still crying. 
Good for you. It's good for you. <laughs> you can't say that because now I'm tearing up. I wear my heart on my sleeve, so you can hear me deep there. Good. Yeah. It's good for you. Oh, oh, all right. Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. Anyway. <laughs> so I couldn't be more happy about his success because I know what a good guy he is and his, his heart goes into his work, you know, and he doesn't live in LA, he lives in Chicago or I would probably hang out with him, but uh, you never forget those people. Yeah, that is awesome. That is and what and what a great thing that he's writing in our industry because he did write a story that was similar about a kid with a facial deformity, and that that was uh, what was that film called? It just came out a couple of years ago. I think it was like Wonder or Miracle or something like that. It was I can't remember the title, but yeah, it was a kid with a dis a facial deformity that ended up being like you know the kid that everybody rejected and then became the hero of the class, you know. So that's, a, that's a testament to him and how he was raised, right? Because if you're doing that in fifth grade, it, it's a huge testament to the parents and the people he's growing up with because a lot yeah. of people are making like, fun of or picking on you and doing things like that. Yeah. It stems from their parents. When you're that young, you, there's no way you, 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 you don't do those things without seeing it somewhere else or feeling a certain way or maybe they make you feel a certain way so you feel like you mm -hmm. have to do it with other people. So I, I think... Right. That's a testament to how he was raised, which is awesome. It, it truly is. And I, I mean, his mom uh, and my mom used to go to daily mass together. You know, they were ch church going women. And uh, we all went to the same Catholic schools, grade school and high school. And uh, if there, there is one thing about that, we are, are raised to respect people and be fair to people and look out for people. And my parents definitely raised my brothers to look out for me when I was young and st they trained me to stand up to bullies. So I still do. I, I always stand up to bullies and uh, you, you keep encountering bullies all through life, especially in a business like this, but I always stand up to them. And uh, thankfully my parents taught me that yeah. my parents taught me a lot of things, but also one of the best things they ever taught me. Um, my mom, when I was a kid and dealing with all the mean kids and bullies and even mean teachers, my mom said to me, you know, what you have there is a great judge of character, other people's character. And she said, they're not showing you what's wrong with you. They're showing you what is wrong with them. So thank them for showing you who they are. <laughs> and so I learned a lot from that. And through this industry, I've learned a lot from that because I see who people are very clearly. If somebody is so weak that they have to point out the flaws in another human or point out what's wrong with them or shun someone without knowing what they're capable of, they're showing you their own fear and weakness. And I've never forgotten that. But one of the best things about that lesson she gave me was that I attract the strongest people. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. The kind of people that come around me and stick around are the coolest, strongest people. Even when I was a teenager and getting to the age of dating, she's like, you, you'll date athletes because they understand injuries. <laughs> and so like the coolest kids, the coolest athletes, the, the ones that everybody liked, they were the ones who wanted to date me because they weren't afraid of what other people thought. They were like, they didn't see the problem, you know? Yeah. So she was right. The people that aren't worried about what everybody else thinks aren't going to be afraid of me, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's awesome. But, uh, so. 
Yeah, I, I do have to tell you. So, I actually never seen him cry before. Yeah. Ever uh, <laughs> friendship? So I gotta tell you. I gotta tell you. So that might have to be a promo. So my cousin, me and my cousin, probably two or three years ago, we started this thing. Are you familiar with Jimmy V, the Jimmy V Foundation? Sorry, I couldn't hear you. Are you familiar with the Jimmy V Foundation, Jim Balvano? Uh. Uh-uh. Are you sure? Are you familiar? It's a can- it's a cancer research um, um, charity. Um, sorry, I don't know that one, but there's so many of them. It's hard to know them all. He, so that he's been, it's like ESPN puts it on the ESPYs every year. Uh, anyway, his famous quote, he was a coach, uh, who won a national championship and he passed away of cancer and then the foundation started. But the quote was, if you laugh, you think, and you cry, you've had a full day. So like yeah. we started doing these emotional nights where we would get really drunk together. We would smoke cigars. We would end up laughing, crying together, like all this stuff. So I want to thank you for giving me a full day because you made me laugh. You made me uh, cry. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of life, right? If we can feel all of our emotions and You're part of the let, them, yeah. let them guide us. What? One of, one of the crew now. You might have to get a matching tattoo with us or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm going to do tattoos. I think I've got enough needles. I got a lot of scars though. So that I'm already in the club. Yeah. They look like tattoos from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I got my scars. <laughs> um, I have press on tattoos when I need to play a crackhead. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, no, I think it's been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on. And hopefully down the line, we can get you on for another episode. Um, I'd love that. Thank you. Um, um, I'm going to expect you to um, give me updates on what you're doing. Oh, oh, oh yes, for sure. We'll be in Because I'm expecting to hear that you're going for your dreams. Oh, yeah. You inspired me, so I think I'm going to. You gave me big goosebumps the whole time. Ah. We're going to have to send you – we're also going to send you a thank you, uh, some, some some merchandise uh, for coming. Oh, thank you. You definitely be in touch. Yeah, if you're ever in New York, too. Definitely let us know if you're around. And, oh, yay. Vice versa. I, I was actually supposed to go out to L.A. for some business um, right before all this happened. Uh, so if I'm ever out that way, I'll definitely, definitely let you know, too. Please do. And next time I get back to work, which I, I hope will be really soon. And if I get to New York, I'll let you know. But happy to be one of the gang with or without the tattoos. <laughs> yeah. Do you know anyone that's, you know, willing to you know, use their voice and yeah. speak on something? I'd love to have them all. Oh, good. Okay. Good. I know lots of people who are willing to use their voice. Yeah. Awesome. I know some really cool people that would do this. Cool. Let us yeah. know. We stay in touch, and uh, like I said, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for giving me a full day. So. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, take care. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Many discrepancies, but you confiscated my heart like Iraqi weaponry. And when I say I miss you, damn, I wish I knew telepathy, but there's really no help in me. But I know you know me, and naturally, I can't help but reach for other galaxies. But tragically, they say I'm just ahead of myself, but I think I'm getting better myself. I'ma make it through the weather myself. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V 
on YouTube.